Nehemiah chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, otherwise we'll put the words up for you. Nehemiah chapter 8. This is a very powerful and solemn moment, which I won't get into. That won't be my call today. It's my joy today to be able to um, have our family ministries pastor preaching today with over 40 years of loving, laboring, and preaching with great fervency the Word of God, Kurt DeGraff. And this is the text he has chosen, and, uh, and so here we go. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. How's that for scripture reading? In the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And they talk about individuals that were gathered all around him. In verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. So let's do that right now. Let's all stand. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen! Amen! Lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Others are mentioned here that are Levites who helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people who wept as, the, as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to everyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And all God's people said, You may be seated. Pastor Kurt DeGraff, come and preach the word of God to us. Thank you, Pastor Pat. That last verse that he read talked about people eating and drinking and sharing with others, reminiscent of Christmas. Of course, this was not a Christmas text, but Christmas is still fresh in our minds. I'm curious, how many of you today are wearing 
one of your Christmas gifts. May I? May I see your hands? You're wearing one of your Christmas gifts. Now, if I may be so bold, would you point to what you're wearing, if it's not inappropriate? (laughs) Point to what you're wearing that is your Christmas gift, okay? Take a look around. Well, congratulations. You look good. And now that you've worn it publicly, you can take it back and exchange it tomorrow, right? (laughs) Not. (laughs) Seriously, today, I do want you to exchange your spirit of heaviness for a garment of praise. I do want you to adorn yourself in the Word of God. I want you to put off the old man, which is deceitful in all of its lusts, And put on the new man, which is created in Christ Jesus, unto righteousness and true holiness. Today I want to help equip you in the Word of God for the new year, worship in the Word in 2015. You know, I asked Pastor Pat to read the Scripture today on purpose because he reads so well. Reading the Scripture is an art form. And I believe that when you read the Word of God succinctly and clearly, it actually preaches a message in and of itself. He reads with passion. He reads with understanding. He reads with emotion. And I believe that helps us to understand what the text is saying. And I have to believe that's what Ezra did back in the book of Nehemiah when he read the book of the law called the Torah. I'd like to set the context for you here today in your hearing. As you may recall in the first verse, this occurred during the seventh month of the year on the first day of the month. That was in the fall of the year, likely September, October, but it was festival month. It was holiday month, much like our month of December. Three celebrations in this particular month. This scripture reading occurred... During the Feast of Trumpets, immediately followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, which immediately was followed by the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where the people confessed their sins. You have to understand, the Bible is not arranged by topic, and neither is it entirely chronological in its arrangement. Nehemiah would better be listed near the end of the Old Testament canon of Scripture because that's where it occurs. Most of you who are students of the Bible would know in the Old Testament we learn about the chosen people of God, the Israelites, who rebelled again and again and again. And finally, God disciplined them severely by allowing them to be taken into captivity. First, the northern ten tribes by Assyria. Later on, the southern two tribes, known as Judah, into Babylonian captivity. And then after 70 years, God began to bring them back in waves, each one led by a man. The first wave came back with a man named Zerubbabel, who helped rebuild the temple. Then 40 years later, a man named Ezra came, who was a priest and a scribe. He had it in his heart to reestablish the priesthood in the Holy Land, He, together with all the other Jews, had kind of lost track of their religious moorings. He came back to reestablish the priesthood in the temple. And then about 14 years following that, the writer of this particular book, Nehemiah, returned with a workforce 
to rebuild the city walls for protection of the ancient city of Jerusalem. It took them only 52 days to build the wall. Amazing. No city codes, no Des Moines waterworks. Just get her done. And they did. And what you heard read by Pastor Pat occurred right after the building of the wall. So they had a place to worship, they had a priest to worship, and they had protection for worship. But I ask you, does that necessarily guarantee worship? Let me make it personal for you. Here you are on this tweener Sunday, this last Sunday of 2014, and you may be here in body, but your spirit may be lagging. A lot of folks this time of year struggle spiritually because of the overstimulation that goes on. Quite frankly, we may have been taken captive in our spirits to overindulgence, to excessive celebration, to too much media input, which if I'm really honest as I examine myself, tends to shrivel my soul. When I lessen the intake of God's Word and time with God's people, and I intensify all the accoutrements to the holiday season, I often feel myself distancing from the Lord Jesus, the one I profess to love. We can have a holiday hangover. God wants us to gather today. This Sunday is, He wants us to gather every Sunday with a heart that's bent toward Him. God is looking for worshipers. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23. He's seeking for worshipers. His eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth to show Himself mighty on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal toward Him. He wants worshipers. Today I'm talking about worship in the Word. What is worship anyway? How would you define worship? Is worship a service? Is it an hour and a half on Sunday morning? Is worship a certain liturgy? I grew up in a liturgical church as a youngster with an ordered service. And to some degree we have ordered services as well. Is it a style of music or a style of instrumentation? Remember all the battles over which instruments were kosher in the church? And let me just remind you that uh, the real instrument of worship is redeemed sinners. You are the most important instrument of worship. However you sing from the heart is what God's really looking for. Worship isn't something we go to do. Worship is something we are. It flows from the inner person. It's an expression of what's going on in the heart. The heart of worship is worship from the heart. God knows. He looks. He sees if you've come here to worship Him. Worship is the response of the sinner who's been regenerated by the Spirit of God. It's the response of the believer who's renewed by the Word of God. Worship is the response of the heart that has seen God. I want you to notice from our text the centrality of the Word of God in worship in the response of God's people. It was electric. 
Look again at verses 5 and 6 in Nehemiah chapter 8, where Nehemiah explains that Ezra, the priest, opened the book. We're talking the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. We're talking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He opens the book in the sight of all the people, which implies men, women, and children, such as we have in this service. For he was above all the people, and he opened it. As he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Do you notice all the action verbs in that description? The question I have, in all honesty, having grown up rather staid, can we really worship God passively? Does our brain and spirit ever inform our body that we are a whole person And that worship is a whole man expression. I mean, look at what they did, how they responded in body language in their worship to the Lord. From this text, we find uh, three reactions to the Scripture by the people of God. First of all, the people were respectful. Verse 5, they stood and listened attentively. They listened for six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. They were hungry for the Word of God. No commercial breaks, no you know, dismissing to use the bathroom, no eating. They just stood and listened to the Word of God. They were respectful. Then the people were receptive. They audibly answered the reading of the Word of God with amen. Amen. And and watch this. They held up their hands, palms open toward heaven, as if to say, we receive the Word of God. By the way, if you want to know a biblical posture in praying, this is the way Jesus prayed in the Gospels. Hands uplifted, palms toward heaven, talking to his Father. That is a biblical way to pray. Receive. Bring it on, God. Bring it on. All these blessings. I receive this. I obey this. I want this. We do not worship in passivity. This is the way that I believe is helpful for us to pray. By the way, uh, This word amen that's used here, a common Bible word, Paul ended all of his general epistles with the word amen. Do you know the last word in the Bible is the word amen? So what what does amen mean? Is it just, you know, landing the plane after table grace so the kids know they can dive in? What is, what does it mean, amen? Tell me. Yes, so be it. So be it. Yes, I agree with this. I affirm this. This is true. I agree. It means faithful. It means true. Do you know that Jesus Christ, when he revealed himself to the church at Laodicea, Revelation 3, verse 
15, he, he called himself the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Jesus is the great amen, the great exclamation point from God that he loves us and gave his life for us that we might be saved. Amen, amen. By the way, it's okay for you to say amen in church. I hear Pastor Pat saying amen. God bless you, brother. But all of us, if you affirm, you can verbalize it during the service, whether loudly or softly, amen. I accept that. I receive that. And then, and then thirdly, the people were responsive. They, they bowed down and they worshipped the Lord with faces to the ground. When's the last time you worship that way? Face to the ground. Can we worship passively? Now, it is instructive that the people had gathered, commentators tell us, between 30,000 and 50,000 strong before a place called the Water Gate. There were several gates in the city, each known for what was sold there. You'll see on the diagram the city walls that had just been built by Nehemiah and company, and the various gates, the ingress, the egress. These gates were known for what was sold there. At 11 o'clock, you'll see the fish gate, and then you're going to see at 1 o'clock the sheep gate, and then coming on down... You're going to see the horse gate, and eventually in the southeast corner, you'll find the water gate. The water gate was located near to the Gihon Spring, a natural source of bubbling water. And the Gihon Spring was connected by Hezekiah's tunnel to another receptacle for water seen at the bottom, the Pool of Siloam, which appears again in the New Testament in John chapter 9, the water was drained into the pool of Siloam from which the people dipped. Now, it was the job of the Nethanim, the Gibeonites, book of Joshua, who lied to Joshua, were taken into captivity as slaves. They were hewers of wood and carriers of water. It was their job to get water into the temple through the water gate. Now understand something, in New Testament theology, we no longer go to a building to worship. We are the temples of God, and the water is brought to us. The water of the Word. Water is used in Scripture as a symbol of the Word of God. The washing of the water by the Word. When the Bible talks about living water, it's talking about moving water, not stagnant water. Living water is moving water. Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4 when she was dipping from the well of Jacob, if you would have asked, I would have given you living water. Jesus is the one who is the water of life. He gives living water. The location of the reading of the Word of God by the water gate was not accidental. You see, the word Gihon means gushing. The Gihon spring means gushing or surging. Perhaps Pastor Pat will take you there in his trip to Israel. Surging, you can hear the sound of it. Captured by Hezekiah's tunnel, drains down to the pool of Siloam, a word that means sense. Living water, water and the word, the washing of the water by the word. Water 
refreshes. Water cleanses. Water purifies. Water nourishes life. One cannot live without water. 60% of your body is made up of water. Over 60% of the globe is covered by water. We cannot live without water. Water is life-sustaining. And all of it's a picture of the Word of God, both in Scripture, the Bible, and incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we fast forward into the New Testament, book of John, chapter 7. After the day of reading the Word on the first day of the month, on the second day, they began to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And in John, chapter 7, we read about the Feast of Tabernacles in the time period when Jesus was walking the earth. You have to understand the Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder to the people of God of how the Lord had protected them during their days of wilderness wandering 40 years. They built little tent cities made out of branches, and they celebrated how God protected them. And during the days of Jesus in the temple, uh, the people of God would get palm branches and they would walk around the altar once a day with their palm branches waving. And then on the seventh day of the feast, there were seven days in the Feast of Tabernacle. On the seventh day, the priest would have gone down to the pool of Siloam and dipped a bucket of water. And then he would come back to the temple and the people would march around the altar seven times as a picture of what God did in bringing the walls of Jericho down. And after they finished walking around seven times, the priest, in a very ceremonious way, would pour a bucket of water over the altar as a picture of the rock that was smitten in the wilderness, providing them refreshment throughout their years of wandering. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, that rock that followed them was Christ. Picture of Jesus Christ, the water of life. Now you got to get this. All this ceremony, all these people gathered around, all this pomp and circumstance, you know, folks wandering around in the water being poured. Suddenly, Jesus, who had been silent during the first part of the, of the feast, suddenly when the water began to pour, Jesus cried out in the hearing of all the people in a loud voice, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, who should be given to them. Kieran and I have been studying devotionally famous pastors and wives. We just finished studying Charles Spurgeon and his wife Susie. When Spurgeon died at age 57 in 1892, he was in the south of France, and Susie had gone along, not knowing he was going to die, but there on his deathbed are recorded his very last words spoken to his wife, Susie. He said, Oh, wifey, what a precious time my Lord and I have enjoyed together. My heart yearns to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. And I agree that often I don't have that kind of closeness. And if I'm honest with you, sometimes I wrestle with, Lord, how do I get close to you? I mean, Jesus, you're up there at the right hand of the Father, and 
I know you say you're with us always, but how do I get my arms around you? How do I make you precious? You've got to understand this. This is an essential in the Christian life. God mediates, that is, he imparts, he gives, he uh, instills, he mediates Christ's presence to us through the word of God written. How do I get close to God? You get close to the word. And then Christ becomes precious to you. W.A. Criswell said, when I love the Word of God, I love God. When I believe the Word of God, I believe God. When I obey the Word of God, I obey God. And when I know the Word of God, I know God. Jesus becomes precious to you through the Word of God. When Pastor Pat preaches the Word of God, he preaches God. God mediates himself through this means of grace to our hearts as we hear the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God or a word about Christ. Something happens in that moment when we hear the gospel. Pastor Pat carries the water of life through the ear gate into our souls. He is our Ezra. I am one of several Levites on staff who explain the Word of God to you in person to give you understanding. Now, because I've long been a senior pastor, my heart yearns, and I would ask on his behalf, that you prepare for the preaching of the Word by getting a good night's sleep on Saturday night. I would beg of you, I would beg of you, unplug all the electronic media on Saturday night. I'm serious. You have to prepare for the preaching of the Word of God. And if you can find out in advance where he's going, and he'll go back to our series on Romans shortly, read it on Saturday night and prepare your heart for listening in worship to the Word. <clears throat> I appreciate the, pat, the, the, the fact that Pastor Pat preaches the whole counsel of God, and it includes the hard words as well as the soft words. Let me just give you an insight. A pastor who preaches hard words will allow the Spirit of God to produce soft hearts, but a pastor who only always produces soft words will in his people only produce hard hearts. We are blessed to have someone that preaches the whole counsel of God and doesn't shy away from preaching on sin and repentance and the need of the gospel rather than a sugar-coated message that will appeal to the masses. We need the word of God as it is for people as they are. I love the fact that our pastor preaches expository messages As explained in verse 8, look at the text there again, verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. You see a footnote there in your ESV, what does it say? What's the word? It says with interpretation, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. What is that all about? Well, the word clearly, commentators tell us, may be a reference to interpreting 
into the Aramaic language, having been gone for a long period of time, some of the people perhaps needed to brush up on their Hebrew. Then again, it may just be a word for interpretation, what we would call a hermeneutically interpreting the Word of God in a historical, contextual, grammatical backdrop. That's expository preaching. Any expository preaching is going to explain what the original words mean if it's not clear in our English Bibles. But then, most importantly, it says he gave the sense, meaning he properly explains the three parts of unpacking a text. What are those three parts? Here they are. Number one is observation. You read, what does the text say? Who wrote it? To whom was it written? Why was it written? Secondly, interpretation. What does the text mean? And by the way, the Word of God in any given text can only mean one thing. It's not open to private interpretation. God intends to say something. And when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. They gave them the sense. Application, how does the text apply to me? Lord, I don't want to leave this book on a daily basis until you speak to me and I interact with you in a relationship, not merely a checklist. In my counseling, I've learned that many of God's people struggle to have a consistent quiet time, daily time, devotional time with God. They struggle. And as a counseling pastor, one of my chief jobs, I believe, is to give you tools for relationship with God and relationship with each other. I try to equip you, and that's what this message is all about. One of my primary focuses of this message is to give you a tool for 2015 of how to get into the Word. Remember the old adage, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. What's the next line say? Teach him to fish and... You feed him for a lifetime. Hey, do you know how to feed yourself from the Word of God? We want to help you. So here we go. You need a time. You need a place. You need a method. Habit-forming method. If you practice it for 21 days, it will likely become a habit. Remember the old navigator illustration of the hand? First, we must hear the Word of God. Then we must read the Word of God. Then we must study the Word of God. Then we must memorize the Word of God. And then we must meditate on the Word of God. Mull it over like a cow chewing her cud. And notice that the thumb... The meditation is what gives you a grasp on Scripture and on life. Only if you have committed to memory and then meditate will you have weaponry when the enemy attacks. That is the essence of biblical counseling. Grab it. Grab the Bible. Grab life's problems with meditation. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's that's what the Scripture teaches. So let me give you some pointers. First, let me urge you to buy and use a study Bible. Do you know what I mean by that, study Bible? A study Bible includes footnotes that explain the interpretation of any given passage. 
little footnotes at the bottom of the page. If you have a study Bible, I want you to interact with me on the count of three. I want you to say out loud the kind of study Bible you have. You know, it's probably in your lap or at home. You ready? One, two, three. Yes. All right. That's good. <laughs> if, if I had to recommend a few study Bibles, I, I'll, I'll throw three your direction. The MacArthur Study Bible is at the top of my list. ESV Study Bible. The David Jeremiah Study Bible. There's other good ones out there. The Henry Morris Study Bible. You may have a different one. That's fine. But get yourself a study Bible. Become a student of the Word. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. I would urge you to read the Bible, or at least the New Testament this year, in a version different than what you usually use. Because it will make it come alive. So it's just the one on the screen the NLT, the New Living Translation. It's a dynamic equivalent, and it will really bring the Bible to life. Treat yourself. Get a study Bible. and Get a version different than what you've been using. But in today's bulletin, I have included, and I'd like you to pull this out, the little Bible interaction time. Would you do that for me? Pull that out right now. Now, maybe you already have a tool you use for Bible study. That's fine. I'm not trying to change you. But I know that many of you don't. So here's an idea. This is just a tool. I love you. I want to help you. I want to equip you. That's what pastors do. We help equip the body of Christ. Here's a little tool that we use. You can duplicate this in mass. Put it in a three-ring binder. Use it as a kind of daily journal, if you will. I know what some of you guys are thinking right now. Kurt, guys, don't journal. It's too much like a diary. Hey, if Nehemiah had not journaled, we wouldn't have this book, right? Forty guys journaled, and that's why we have the Bible, okay? The book of Nehemiah's Nehemiah's diary of what happened to prompt the great revival of 444 B.C. And revival is always an in-depth study of God's Word. That's what what prompts it. Now on this insert, you can read it for yourself. It's self-explanatory. But in particular, down there at the bottom, under essential messages to me, when you read the Word of God, think in terms of glasses. I'm wearing glasses today. Okay, these are spectacles or specs, if you will. So when you come to the Bible, ask yourself some questions. Specs, is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? Are there any special lessons for me to learn? Ask yourself, interact with the Scriptures. This is God talking to you. This is God mediating His presence to you. This is how you have relationship with God. You cannot have relationship with God without being in the Word of God. It's impossible. You will drift. You will fall away. 
without a regular input of God's word. Obviously, this is application-oriented. You get your interpretation from your study Bible. Now, what to read? Well, if you are computer literate, we have a 515 plan at our website. It's a reading plan to get you through the New Testament in 2015. 515. You will take five minutes a day to read one chapter a day for five weekdays. No reading on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. You can use that to catch up if you get behind during the week. And it doesn't include holidays either. The one we have, by the way, if if you're not computer literate, we have a bunch of these at uh, the back there, uh, information desk in our entryway. One year through the New Testament. doesn't start till the 5th of January. We're skipping by the holidays and weekends. Okay? But this will get you through the New Testament in a year. You can grab one of these if you prefer. Many of you can go online and download it. Now, I want to I put a wrap on this message today. This last message of the year. I, I don't want to merely give you a tool and then sit down. I want to take you back in time to that Watergate experience of the reading of the Word of God and the impact on God's people. And I believe the same kind of impact occurs here at Slaterville on a regular basis. When the Word of God is preached in power, the power of the Spirit, look at what happens to the people of God, to the Israelites first. They were reduced to tears of conviction. Conviction is an email from Christ to your conscience. So what it says, verse 9b, For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Wept. Can you imagine the sound of between 30,000 and 50,000 people weeping as one? I am curious, really, honestly, I'm curious. When's the last time you wept when you read the Word or when you heard the Word preached? When's the last time it penetrated the hard exterior and got into your heart? You know your heart has grown cold when you sit in judgment of others through your words rather than sit under the judgment of God through His words. I'm a biblical counselor. That means I'm driven to the Scriptures. And counseling always starts with the Word. It always starts, if you come in to see me, I'm always going to start at the same place. Are you willing to submit to the will of God? Do you want to glorify God? I start with this verse of Scripture on my whiteboard it reads from 2 Corinthians 5, 9, So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, to please God. I tell you, if you'll submit low with a high view of God, a high view of His Word, and say, I just want to glorify God, God will help you through your problem. Bow the knee, submit your will, 
You can bury the failures of 2014 under the blood of Christ. All those sins that have been entangling you and weighing you down like an albatross these past 12 months, they can be gone. You don't have to carry them into the year 2015. You can turn those tears of sorrow into tears of joy. I love the promises of God's Word. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses. Greek present tense. Continually keeps on cleansing us from all sin. But there's a condition. I'm talking to Christians now. If you're weighed down, about to go into a new year, if you're weighed down, if we confess, the word means to agree with God, to say the same thing he says about it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends who work at Walmart tell me that their supervisors tell them here in town, when you see a mess, own it. And I want to say to you, as a Christian pastor, about your own messes in your own life, when you see a mess, own it. Don't blow it off. Don't blame shift. Just take responsibility. I sinned. God forgive me. Confess it. And it will be gone. It will be clean. And you won't drag it into the new year with extra baggage. Know this, if you're a person who's into morbid introspection and false guilt, if after you have confessed your sin, you still feel guilty, that, that guilt doesn't come from God. It comes from the accuser of the brethren. So move it to the side. Don't let it pull you down. Come back to the cross for a new look at grace. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I, I realize that there may be some people here today who are not in the family of God, and I, I want you, before you pillow your head on December the 31st, to make sure that you're going to heaven as you enter 2015. And now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, no better time. If I go back to the illustration of water and the terms I used earlier, I talked about the pool of Siloam. This is John chapter 9 where Jesus engages this body of water. And he encounters a man born blind. And the disciples ask Jesus, well, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus said, neither, but that the works of God might be declared in him. And then Jesus said, I must do the works of him that sent me. Emphasis on, I've been sent by God. Why is it important? Because the pool of Siloam is a word that means sent. The water is sent from Gihon, from the spring on high. It's sent to Siloam. Jesus said, the night comes when no man can work. I am the light of the world. And then he proceeded to minister to the man born blind. Now, this may gross you out, but he spit on the ground. And he created clay. Eric, come here a minute. Okay, you're wearing glasses, right? Yeah. Okay. If I were to say, 
Okay, we're going to heal you of your, of your blindness. And I spit on the ground, and I salved it over. That, that was typical of what they did in the first century to try to heal eye ailments. That was man's approach, which could not heal. So Jesus was saying to him, in effect, you won't find any healing for your blindness through a human effort. He said, I want you to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He went, and he came back seeing. The sent one from God the Father, Jesus Christ, sent him to a pool where his eyes could be cleansed by the grace of God. And he could spiritually see, and not not just for a day, not just for a year, but throughout eternity. Thank you, Eric. If you are here and you are blinded by your self-efforts to save yourself, they're no better than than clay over your eyes. Go wash in the pool Siloam, which is a picture of Jesus Christ sent from God. And when you wash yourself in the blood of Jesus Christ, you'll be cleansed and you will see forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture that urges us to get into the Word of God and to respond to it because it's the way that you mediate your presence to us. It's the way our lives are changed. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Before I go any further in this prayer, I just want to ask Christians, would you commit to a Bible reading plan? That doesn't have to be the one I showed you, but to a Bible reading plan in 215 Would you commit to getting into the Word of God on a regular basis? If so, would you just lift your hands and say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Thank you. God sees that. Stay faithful. Lord, if someone here is unsaved, may the Word of God speak to them. Would it fall down like rain, washing their eyes of the guilt of the clay of self-effort, and may they see with new eyes the beauty and the salvation that is in Christ. We bless you and thank you. We give this new year to you in Christ's name. Amen.